Cosmic Frequency, Tuning into the Awakened Heart. This program is brought to you by Prana Luz Conscious Living. My name is Ana Lu and I am the founder of Prana Luz and host for the Cosmic Frequency Podcasts. Our podcasts focus on three main pillars, spirituality and social and environmental awareness. Our topic today is the interdependence of generative systems and our guest, Pablo Jenkins from Costa Rica. Pablo is pioneer in new investment models for regenerated projects in emerging markets, actively engaged in key global forums on innovation and purpose-driven co-creation. He's the founder and managing director of Andromeda and the Generative Futures Initiative. He has over 18 years of experience working with family offices on regenerative real estate, venture capital and angel investing in emerging markets. He launched Intel Capital in Costa Rica in 2001 and became Intel's youngest strategic investment manager. Pablo was director of international expansion for Endeavor Global in charge of expansion into the Middle East and Asia. Pablo co-created a sustainable investment group in Brazil with leading local family offices, co-organized and curated TEDx Pura Vida Joven from 2011 to 2019. He graduated with a BA from Princeton University, Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs, and has an MBA from Harvard Business School and an MPA from Harvard Kennedy School. He's also fellow Aspen Global Leadership Network since 2009, and in 2015, he was elected as Young Global Leader of the World Economic Forum. Hello, Pablo. How are you? Doing very well, and it's, uh, I think, a very, a very appropriate moment in in history to be discussing a couple of the things that I look forward to going deeper with you on today. Thank you. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. I'm very uh, flattered and delighted to have this conversation with you on this super interesting uh, topic. Hmm. Thanks. How is uh, Nosara? So you're here in, in Costa Rica now, right? Yes, after 2019, I was only about 30 days in Costa Rica. I spent three months in Boston, three months in Europe, including going to Greenland to see the glaciers, and uh, a few months around Singapore, uh, looking at the future of using water resources and responsible and responsive city so so it's kind of interesting that I had in my mind sense that I would be much more taking this global perspective and grounding it in in a place that felt regenerative and, and Nosara definitely is feeling this way that's great yes it's an amazing place to be thank you so maybe if you want to start uh for the listeners by sharing a little bit about your work and your background and what it's inspired you to share about this topic? Yes, I, I started my career, I think trying to find this connection between how innovation in, in, in business and policy 
could come together to create just better ecosystems. I, and I had done my research in behavioral economics, actually looking at the issues of, of climate change. But I had a sense that there were so many paradigms that, that were separated. So even though stakeholders were coming together to discuss very important topics, they seem to be operating in compartments. So um, the nonprofits had their own kind of arrangements, uh, businesses, only some of them were able to really go beyond corporate responsibility to truly operate from, from purpose at the core. And so I started to, to see the opportunity in blending some of the traditions that understood the changes in consciousness and changes in systems. And then I've been, over the last few years, aligning my way of thinking about innovation, connecting it to thinking transgenerationally. So mm-hmm. that the way we get better sense of interdependence by looking beyond our circle of concern of our, of our own ego or our own family or our own country to all of humanity and all of living beings, to do a similar expansion of awareness uh, across time. So in that way, getting a lot of the lessons and wisdom of living systems that have evolved for billions of years into our own ways of creating new tools and biomimicry or circular models of the economy, but also then to push forward and to think over a hundred years or a thousand years into the future. And then it requires kind of a canvas of imagination mm-hmm. that makes it very natural to rethink systems because even things like capitalism or democracy look like a small element within a bigger space. And then many things that seem very solid or like have a false sense of necessity to exist become obviously choices. And we can talk a little bit later about how then rules, like the rules of games, seem to be very obviously conventions. Conventions we may keep playing, but that may not be adaptive. Uh, and, and especially conventions that we take from systems where scarcity, like monopoly or risk, are as board games mm-hmm. with a lot of zero-sum dynamics with a lot of just trying to finish quickly to win rather than to keep expanding possibility. And, and that's how this has blended over the last couple of years. And, and I've been very blessed to be part of these global communities that uh, bring a lot of stakeholders together. And I think I see this moment also in human history be particularly powerful because most people, wherever they are in the world, have an opportunity to face a reevaluation of this sense of interdependence, of what seems purposeful, and of even pausing to observe themselves and their and where and how they live. Um, so, so I sense this new way of taking this perspective. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna it's gonna give us a very special decade in the 2020 to 2030 uh, history of human history. Yes. And I imagine ourselves in 2030, looking backwards and say like, oh, remember when in 2020 we were sitting down to, to talk through Zoom? So <laughs> I look forward to also having this recording and then uh, imagining this conversation as <laughs> if we were remembering the future. 
Yes. Thank you, Pablo. That's so interesting. Yes. And I know you have been involved with, you know, people, you know, leading this paradigm shifts uh, throughout different places of the world. And I, as you, I find this very important and relevant right now as it is what we are co-creating together, right? To shift these perspectives and incorporate new ideas and, and shifting the paradigm to a more interdependent uh, global paradigm and as you say not only for the future years but also for the future generations so thank you perhaps maybe um what do you believe has has certainly led our society to start creating this paradigm of separation which is the the core right of, of why we are here right now with this global yeah. crisis environmental social and spiritual also right yes so Looking at some of the people in systems thinking and and someone I've learned a lot from and have had a chance to share over the last decade with it, Otto Scharmer, he would point out um, that if you look at the disconnect in the economy, like one percent of the people are have more than the other half of the world. In fact, four point one percent have more assets than the, 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 the three billion less affluent people. So then you look at the environment, then you see that we consume more than two and a half times the planet every year in resources in, in a way that's clearly not sustainable. And if we look at people's own self-assessment, most people, when they go to work, they feel that there's a very big disconnection between their highest self possibility and what they actually are doing. But these are not three separate divisions. It's not like an economics problem on the one hand and an environmental and social problem on the second one and a psychological problem and self-help problem on the third one. I would agree that these are all evidence of a disconnect that comes from deeper. And so where, where does that disconnect come from? I think it comes from a, from a disconnect of limited awareness, from a combination of the mind being a bit uh, too judging and closed, like kind of us, them, um, the empathy being a little bit too limited, maybe trying to protect itself with cynicism or other protections. And and fear holding uh, many many people back from acting even when they sense a calling mm -hmm. so then these divisions in the system I think come from the quality of presence and awareness because as we start to become more aware of life at large It's not like then we have to solve four problems. We, we naturally would want to take care of other living beings and reduce suffering. Um, and we would naturally, as if we become more aware, many, many people, including myself, went to elementary school and, and were taught, like, you know, water is just a never-ending resource. And only later to find that there were water shortages, even in places where water and rain are abundant. And, and this sense that you can just take a plastic bottle and just serve it, just forget about it until 
in a couple of decades we would have more plastic in the ocean than fish all of all of these problems are not separate problems in a way it's like it's like when the, like the body has different ailments but they may come as symptoms of something that's out of place and that actually is part of what gives me a lot of hope because each of those problems is very big but the shift can happen it's not easy but the shift can happen in a in a relatively direct way because uh, once you've shifted your consciousness and and you really become much more aware of the interdependence say between our own health like this virus is doing and and our physical health mm-hmm. and how we eat and and our and our biological health once we we see it then like it's almost like you cannot unsee it anymore yes and then then the openness to care and act starts to happen at, at all the levels so i think that the important thing is that for a while like some of the successes of the 20th century allow us several of us at least some of the more you could say privileged but also like the extra comfort to sort of be isolated from uh, from the rest of of what really was deeply going on and i think uh, now this can be a very good moment to to sort of see how this interplay across the system really happens the way it's always been flowing in nature so so i think that is the source of most of the senses of of disconnection and then you see it play out in a lot of ways you see it in play out at even nonprofits that are trying to do good so to speak like may play out a paradigm of like each one trying to compete Uh, separately for resources uh, and I think that that still comes from that same um, uh, sort of paradigm of, of separation and I think this is changing yes yes and it's a, it's very important and appropriate to speak about it right now as well because this is as you said um, a moment where regardless of where you are or what background or economic status you have or whatever we're all getting impact and we're getting a a sense of that global interdependence right that is inevitable for us right now to to perceive and sense and feel that everything is interconnected and and no matter where you are you are being affected uh, by this so i think this is a very uh, precious time to revalue exactly uh, and start connecting through that awareness of of myself of the other and my impact with with the environment and and everybody right yep thank you for that and um and we'll talk more maybe later about awareness and consciousness which is also very interesting uh topic uh, in this sense so how do you think we can start coming from this perspective of you know awareness of inner awareness or this uh, awakening let's say let's call it like that how do can we start weaving together this understanding uh, of the individual the social and the environmental as as one interdependent system yeah so i think there's several ways um to some extent i think nature if one observes it has many of these lessons already in it right so i think in the business world many of us were still a few decades ago used to thinking of human resources as if people were a resource to be exploited or 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 the environment itself of just being like an input just for production just for profits 
I like um, the way Raj Sisodia in his uh, kind of framing of some of the ideas of conscious capitalism and uh, uses this analogy. He, he often speaks of how a human has red blood cells, but having the most red blood cells is not like an end in itself. You just have to have healthy amount of red blood cells to do whatever your life purpose is. And he would say that a similar analogy would be for business, that, that, that still like profits would be a, an important thing for a business to be healthy, but that the purpose of a business has to be defined from a higher perspective mm-hmm. um, so that it's not just like more, more, more profits. And then you're like, and for what? Like, what are you trying to achieve? As a way of both engaging its employees and customers beyond just like the more kind of mechanistic way of like just a transaction. And that's not the easiest way to engage deep passion. And also it becomes very extractive and many people feel burnt out and, and, and used and rather than, than in a quest or a, or a mission, you know, these, these days, like even companies um, like SpaceX that was just about to launch today to space and, and Elon Musk as, uh, yeah. as, as a business person, I think he's just not trying to build cars, but he would, he would put his purpose as trying to accelerate the movement to a renewable energy economy. So if it's cars or batteries or solar roofs, uh, they actually may be much more adaptable as a company. Uh, and so how does it become not mechanistic? I think it's to connect to a higher purpose, to feel values. I think to look at nature, nature has this way in which most things are kind of an input to something else in a way, but not in a mechanistic system, in like a very sort of complete system. Um, So this very linear way of like using something, like even in the worst of ways, like human resources or life resources, or like the way, for example, farming in the industrial complex does it, you know, like just use up a living being, like, you know, like uh, no matter its its health, no matter its its living conditions, just, uh, you know, like use it as an input to make a hamburger or whatever. Uh, ends up clearly having a lot of costs, health costs, a little of, of disconnection. So, so I would say there at that separation is like lacking to understand the main purpose of what we really are trying to do with all these systems. And then like the system itself just kind of like goes out of control. And the second is uh, to have life affirming values. And I think nature is a great place to look what life affirming values are because they are the values to just enhance life, uh, purpose, love, uh, connection. Uh, so, uh, compassion. So I think that that is a way to do it. Uh, and I think you can get it by probably a combination of being exposed to some examples. Uh, and I think you could probably get most of it by direct observation with 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 the right experiencing of, of facts. So I think that's why I think the education system, which we may touch a little later, um, mm. is very outdated. I think if Henry Ford came, he would recognize very few things in our technology world. Like he couldn't understand like a smartphone and other things, but he would look at the education system and he would look exactly 
like a Ford factory, like you go in first grade, everyone starts the same, everyone does the same work, everyone answers the same questions, and then everyone goes to the same second phase in second grade. And, and that system, it's not, it's not how, how human or, or any learning should happen. Um, it's, it's based on, on teaching almost to become cogs in a factory. Yeah. So, so I think that's why it's hard to get, to get beyond because we have many things within the system that are like still tuned to that mechanistic paradigm. But I think nature and our own interior sensing offer us a very beautiful way in which to look into more generative and life-affirming values. Yes, that's beautiful. The life-affirming values and how nature can can give us those examples by by you know by her own by Gaia's own uh, generative systems. You know the way she the way she you know holds, uh, preserves, and regenerates herself. And observing nature is uh, such a great insight that we can uh, get inspiration from and and try from there to to see how we can start working together with an intention, like you said, or a purpose that's more inclusive in a way and more uh, open, right? And definitely the the heart and the compassion and the empathy are values that, well, now they're more, um, more accessible, you know, and perhaps not as much in the educational system besides some schools, you know, like the Waldorf or other schools. But... Uh, Now, you know, more companies are trying to involve more of this emotional intelligence and tapping into this, let's say, spiritual or emotional components that they have now understood that are part and important. They take an important part and role within our awareness and purpose, right? With with whatever the business or the the purpose of the company or the business is about. So I think that's changing and I, I'm, I'm happy that it is changing, but still I, I think that there's a lot of uh, separation in regards to the, to the work that's been done, right? Like not only the focus is based on the mechanistic perspective, more um, money oriented or goal oriented or competition oriented. Yeah. But how can we start, let's say incorporating this in a way that, Even though your business could be, I don't know, uh, wholesale, super focused on selling what, whatever to people, how can we start making it more inclusive even with these values? Even if it doesn't matter if our business is not uh, in the spiritual or environmental or social uh, realms, right? But it's definitely something yeah. that big companies are starting to change. But there is still that separation also in the sense that people even in the same fields, are not working together. They're competing, you know, and uh, smashing each other, right? Even with some local and small entrepreneurs to big companies. But some companies are for sure leading the way in this. And perhaps maybe because you've, um, you have so much, so much experience with this, maybe you can share with us also a little bit later on some of these uh, companies or examples that you've seen that are incorporating these interdependent systems already that are moving from this duality or separation towards more inclusive systems, right? Yep. And, and I think there you can see two elements. One, I agree with you completely, which is the purpose of the company can be very aware of its values and interdependence no matter what industry it is. Or you could, on the flip side, have just a terrible competitive interaction 
like even in the nonprofit sector, trying to save the turtles, but like competing with each other little NGO rather than seeing the whole system. And sometimes it gets even worse when you're like a small entrepreneur or like an NGO because you, you have a scarcity of resources, so it gets very tight. Whereas you could be companies like, say, Unilever or Patagonia, uh, who, you know, may look like they sell apparel or, or things, but um, there's, there's a good book called Everybody Matters, and it's co-written by the CEO of a company that sells the core things to make cardboard boxes or aluminum cans for pizzas or or, or drinks. So, so it's, it's not like they're doing the most spiritual seemingly work, but they are very conscious of the interdependence in, in ways that at first look subtle. For example, most people say, okay, let's try to work with all our stakeholders, but still like their suppliers are mostly just suppliers. Like they buy paper and they just pay for paper and they, they feel like, what else can I do about my paper? I'll just look at the price. But when you really, really care about explaining to everyone what you're trying to do and how to care for everyone as if it was your family. And the CEO who co-wrote that book explained that uh, the way uh, when he was at the wedding of his daughter, he would present his daughter to his now-to-be husband, really with all the love and care, hoping he would take, you know, like just good partnership and care of her into the new life together. To some extent, that's what managers and CEOs do with everyone who works in a company. For a lot of their life, they're, they're there for many hours in their life, sometimes even more hours than they spend with their families and loved ones. So what are the values that are not just written on the wall, but that are really shown on like to help people's growth, development, engagement, be able to do purposefully what they're doing? Be able to take even the simplest interactions, like working with a supplier of, say, paper, but explain to them and make them feel part of something that they are doing in the bigger scheme. I think in in Patagonia now that they may be transforming even into the world of food and regenerative food, even though they've been a one could say a clothing company, but they're more than clothing and apparel. I think they see they see their their mission as they did their ad on Black Friday and they said, you know, like, don't buy our jackets. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because they were trying to say, like, selling the most jackets, it's not the point. It's like, you know, they, they care about people connecting with the outdoors. Uh, and they rather repair an old jacket than, than sell a new one. Um, and that paradoxically creates a kind of loyalty of their suppliers, their employees, and their customers that makes the whole entity work i think i think democracies have had a hard time doing that sometimes like they promise to their citizens too much and then then it's hard to know how everyone is truly interdependent so i think companies like this that may produce things that are you know not necessarily like maybe a meditation retreat center like like blue spirit is here in osara or like a waldorf school like the one we have here also close by that that, that seems like okay everything about it seems to be obviously trying to be hinted towards that. But I, but I think you're right. It, it can be done everywhere. I think the core are these three things, that the leadership itself has done its work. It's very hard to have a conscious organization if the people in formal positions of authority are not conscious. I mean, it's a thing that right now with a lot of populist 
uh, heads of states in big democracies uh, are making very, very confusing outcomes. So what is the opposite of a populist? Like a very connected, compassionate, uh, values-based, conscious leader. And Otto Schirmer told me this several years ago, maybe like 10 years ago. And it was that 25 years ago, he would talk to the leaders of the most sort of forward-thinking and engaged uh, organizations. And most of them would tell him privately that they had a meditation practices to try to connect to their inner being and, 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 and find their kind of more spacious awareness. But they wouldn't say it publicly. It was not so allowed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. But they needed it. It was very hard to be a really conscious leader without some practice. And it's most of them found it on their own or with some help. Now, in the last decade, more people have been speaking about it and there's executive coaching and there's a range of it. So I think the, what you see is that the, it's hard to, to have an organization sustain that without true commitment at the top. Mm -hmm. And I think now, I think the way you've also, for example, done in your career, I think that as, as we spoke maybe like 10 years ago and, and I did sense it was a little early to come with this mix, but I think you're, now this is prime time for this mix of understanding kind of the environmental and sustainability elements, the deep personal and, and, and development traditions of mind, body and awareness and also how kind of the business sector operates makes a lot of sense because I think this decade business will be a very important place of change as, as I was saying before like most humans spend a lot of their hours working for companies so if the people running this were operating from purposes and and values and and higher consciousness and, and deep awareness I think there I see a lot of opportunities I actually feel that governments, of course, are very important, but cannot, we cannot just wait cross-handed and wait for governments to do the change where already where most people are doing the work and could be done from, from conscious interdependence uh, is already rising. And I think right now, partly because of the stakes of what could happen in the planet in this next decade in terms of destruction of environment and biodiversity, maybe for thousands of years, our impact can yeah. be really, really a prime time to combine it. Yes, yes, totally. And, and thanks for bringing that uh, forth. Yes, I, I, I'm with you there. And, uh, and I believe, you know, this, this change, like, we you know, I am very much involved in, in the spiritual teachings. And, and I do believe this starts within, you know, in, inside with our inner work, with our awareness of ourselves, of our emotions, of our mind, meditation, of course, mindfulness, and all these diverse practices, not only them, you know, or not only yoga, or it just starts with an awareness of ourselves, right, with our inner work and with uh, questioning of, and then, and then working on transcending that perspective of duality with the other and duality with nature as well, you know, of, that's kind of like where the core thing started to break, where we started seeing the other as a separate you know the subject object and and then if we start 
from that paradigm in our houses, you know, with families or friends, and, and then we bring that forth into a business with no awareness, then that's where we are right now with this split society of, and disconnection to nature. Whereas if we start building systems where we reconnect with ourselves, we're completely engaged and conscious, then we start educating and training leaders that will therefore, you know, enhance this concepts and ideas and principles within their organizations, then, then it will completely change and shift the way we interact, you know, with each other in a business. And, and then we connect with those values, which not only will be focused on making money or doing my job or, right, which is kind of like what it is right now, very mechanistic and moving towards a more uh, interdependent approach. And that's kind of where I was um, going with my next question of in which ways do you consider we could start switching this perception of duality and separation that we've so far created, right, that has its impact yep. in lives in, a, in such a, uh, a real vivid way. Perhaps some people are aware of it, perhaps some people are unaware of it, but it is right here with us all the time. And, and how could we start shifting that into creating new systems, you know, that would uh, re-enhance and inspire us to get uh, to move towards this interdependence. Yeah, so I feel there's at least two moments that are essential that, that, that we should, of course, do at the same time. So one, I, I wouldn't even call it our education system because I actually think that's part of the problem. There's too much education, so to speak, happening, like curriculums, tests. Uh, I would say our learning environments because kids are learning everywhere. They're learning when they're playing. They're, they're learning in nature. Hopefully, they should be out more. Like, why should learning happen? I think many people are going to ask themselves ever more, like, in four walls. And so, so I think one place is, like, to try to keep the fresh way of learning from becoming mechanistic, dual, separated, cynical, judging, and fearful. So, and guilt-driven. Like, all of those things are mostly imposed on, on kids' consciousness, that, are, that it's not done that way. So, so, and I think now we, we have more ways of learning than we had 25 years ago. So, so, I think the focus should be on learning, and from early on, the learning should be as sustained as possible connected to to the planet at large to what's happening in nature now the, that's that's to avoid having to then do this uh, slightly harder process which is how to let go of maladaptive patterns that are that are that are very as you say kind of mechanistic separate and stuff um, and I think there it probably needs to be a range of approaches. I think you you have done a lot of work in into some of the ways in which traditions that have hundreds and thousands of years have come to us now uh, able to blend some of the deep age-old questions like who am I? What is my purpose? Like uh, what am I a part of? And, and of course, the who am I, not in its simple question, but in like in its deep, non-dualistic answer, which is like to be able to just in presence and awareness that is always already here, 
be able to realize that the kind of the observer as like the blue sky is just there's just the feelings thoughts and other elements that coming and going as clouds these i think cannot be taught just as more subject matter to the mind and needs to come as as direct experience so 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 this is an element where in coaching and learning just across the range um having some of that experience and then some of the deeper awareness of the interconnection that that today we have a lot of resources to learn from and and i think even simple things like feeling much more connected to where your food comes from that i think even this moment in history will give to people a chance to ask that in a more deep way um what what needs to be healthy for myself to be healthy then you realize like a lot of elements need to be healthy for you to be healthy um but but i think these these experiential sort of stance of curiosity to just look and push a little bit beyond to to you know like many of the traditions in the east and uh, for example in the chinese tradition uh they would look at the bamboo as being hollow and empty and uh and and being much more resilient and able to flow with life's moves and shifts than a very rigid oak um but i think the the point to a lot of this is to help through direct experience gain awareness but not from an authority figure telling you but from having observed it that most of the things that you believe and feelings that are coming themselves feel solid but are like an optical illusion like they are, they are they're relatively hollow and empty and that that actually allows a much bigger openness and spaciousness of experience to feel held to feel open to feel available to connecting to life and then you may still do almost a similar job that you were doing but the place where you're doing from the awareness to see what's emerging the openness to imagining new ways of of doing it that is just more sustainable and connected the excitement with which to feel a calling to an adventure in life and say yes rather than like let fear hold you down shift i think once you once you get that going and sometimes uh a global challenge or even catastrophes bring that um at a social higher scale uh, i think this moment could help uh, bring that to the fore and to some extent even reflecting on on mortality you know many times in western culture that's seen as a little bit taboo yeah. and not to be discussed yeah totally impermanence is an important point a point that leads us to understanding you know the the fragility that we're all uh, facing in life and and uh, yeah so just to live in the present moment right and understand that everything is yep. permanent and paulo i i know you're you've uh, you spent a lot of time with uh, otto jarmer I, st- i studied him in university read um, a lot of his books and i i love the theory you but perhaps for people who are not so familiar with him or his teachings i remember you know he used, he used to speak about this you know uh, patterns and 
you know, seen with different eyes, like the stages, right, of the theory you, which would, uh, I don't remember exactly the order, but it was like kind of the sensing and the yeah. seeing and the perceiving the presence, which is also coming from that direct experience, right, of, and willing to be open, opening your heart, your mind, and then from there, starting starting to build this uh, these new ways, right, of perceiving and sensing the world. But do you want to share with us a little bit about that, uh, about what it is, or because I think it's very interesting. Yes topic for people to learn yeah and I think it's very relevant now and um, we were glad to have even him and an interesting group come to Costa Rica a few years ago and and we actually did some of this work together uh, in that group which is the you the idea is like rather than try to go straight into the future is like you want to go deeper to make sure, and, and this is something I feel very passionately about, to not create the future from just projecting past patterns. And as you know, even in business, it's, it's hard because like, you look at past data and you look at past uh, statistics. And, but, but, but even in our own selves, like, how, how do we try to do the future from the emergence? So when things are a little uncertain in the future, you can do two things. You can open up to more presence or close down. The more you close down, the more you get barriers. And as we were saying before, like, for example, you could either open the mind or you could become just fearful and just close your mind and think all the other people are weird and stupid. You could open the heart and have more empathy for other human beings or you could close the heart and just, you know, like, just hold on and, like, with cynicism, like not believe that anything else is possible. Mm-hmm. You could open the will, which means be willing to act or like retreat in fear and hoping to go back to make, again, hold on to some past. But that, that you is because you go first from sensing and the basic question is sensing what wants to emerge and what's trying to die. This is almost like in nature. And I've been doing this actually these last few weeks quite actively, sensing, you know, like what of the education system wants to die and what, what is trying to emerge. And I think we can stay with that. Yes, it's a very interesting topic to, to consider right now. And I don't know how many of us are asking ourselves that question. Yeah, I think, and I, I have been doing it for weeks and I would invite everyone to, to do it a bit. And I think your, your space is a great one to do this. So, when you go into nature, you, again, this is not just thinking or forecasting, it's sensing. You're sensing like, okay, you know, I, I've been sensing that, uh, that, a, that a more global way of thinking is, is clearly wanting to arise. But it's like when you see a butterfly about to come out or a seed, like it, it is about to come out, but it also does make a difference if you stamp on it or you <laughs> nurture it. But also then there are old ways of, of things that in nature exactly with the impermanence dying is the most natural of things and, and, and sometimes trying to hold on to something and force it to not go doesn't give the space for what wants to arise yes and i think then what it invites is to a deeper listening it's not just our thoughts like not just the thoughts of other people not just empathy to other living beings but it's then a deeper being he would call it like try to listen and to see with fresh eyes from the field. Like that kind of beginner mindset, not as an expert that already knows everything and has categorized and knows, but like 
to see almost like a, like a kid would. You're like, wow. Yeah. And then that pre-sensing, I think as a third element, that this time is great to test, which is prototype things. So rather than have to wait to know for sure and a fully designed answer, is try a version of it. So let's say that we're thinking there's a different way in which dialogues will happen on this topic. So, so we try it out and then we, we don't need to build a new company and spend 10 years doing strategy and funding. We can try to do a prototype that the focus of it is learning quickly. So like we try some elements and see if that that we were sensing is happening and then we keep going there. And I think this right now we've also be, have better tools to prototype quickly. And, and then there's a, a thing he's incorporated that was less present in the, his initial work, but he's brought in, and I think you, you would also appreciate a lot if you haven't seen it yet, which is social presence in theater, for example, as a way of using the body to sense into things. It's like mm -hmm. sometimes, even if you're trying to connect to your spirit and what's emerging, like like the mind is still often very present, but you try to not do it only from the judging mind. But sometimes you may even ask your body, you know, like the, uh, when you've had such a, a long practice, the way you've had, and then, but anyone has a body and breath, and, and that's often very much in the present uh, place to also inquire with curiosity and ask the body, you know, like what's emerging. And then in a way beyond words and language, Sometimes you can just see your body in a body position kind of show you things that gives you a, 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 a way of relating. So I think these are all at the core ways of listening, ways of staying open, ways of sensing, again, what's, what's emerging, what wants to come alive and what's, what's wanting to die. And I think this 2020, if we again look back the way I tend to think of it as if we were remembering this, this moment, we probably would have been very grateful that we, in spite of all the challenges, had a pause to do a bit of that work. So that what's coming, with all these challenges and possibilities, it's more purposeful. It's more field of presence, more field of love, more filled with compassion, more connected to something much, much bigger than like the little stage of our ego-centered selves. So that then, what would happen from that level of consciousness? We go beyond the hierarchical structure, often with patriarchy at the top, to even beyond the organization and even beyond the multi-stakeholder paradigms, to deep co-creation. I think that's, that's where the big hope is in this decade, that there's a lot of very interdependent co-creation, that the first thing you do is not like make another organization and another nonprofit or another business, but actually like try to just figure out with, with what exists, how do you learn and do and, and, and make things happen? Um, already, I think even things of this collaborative economy have given us real insights into this, yeah. but, but it, it will go much further. And I think co-creation is where this level of inquiry and consciousness and, and, and systemic creating will, will, will take us to. And, and that's, that's the way this, this next phase can be much less ego and mechanistic driven and much more ecological 
in the sense of the whole system, ecosystemic and and truly co-creative. So like as as if what comes out comes from a joint, real joint creation rather than like someone then telling the rest of the people what the answer is. And this moment is great because no one has the answer. No yeah. one in the world is exactly sure when like flights go to fly next. Yes, yes, Paolo. It's a very beautiful invitation and insights on how we can start working towards that. Uh, pausing and use this moment for direct experience like we were talking about before and deep listening, you know, seeing things with fresh eyes and openness to really stay with this uncertainty and, and start uh, co-creating together, trying out different things. And as you said, a beautiful invitation to start tapping into the body and how does that feel and, and connect more with those, with yourselves and your inner wisdom right and to start working with others in you know new ways of uh, with more awareness it's a an interesting moment to definitely reconsider and readapt in a, in a new way so that's a very powerful message and i really hope that we all um take this moment precisely for that pausing and and becoming more aware of what we can start building together from this point on, but also how, what is my role? What's my part right, of my own personal awareness of this as an individual in this whole system? And how can I also start becoming a change agent to start shifting this global awareness towards a more interdependent and inclusive one, right? And yeah, and I think my other uh, question that I wanted to talk to you about was also in, in regards to precisely, you know, in, in systems theory, there's this uh, understanding that there are certain bifurcation points, right? Where a system loop, you know, goes on and on again. I don't know, I'll give an example, I don't know, for the listeners, as for example, the the war industry, right? Or the weapons uh, industry, you know, that each component, you know, there's no war, there's no... A production of weapons there's no war and if there's no war there's no money for, for that and there's like a whole part of component of the system that feeds each other and then when something breaks then the system collapses in a way but there's also ways that we can intervene where we find these precise points that are the spaces where we are able to tap into the change right and focus on creating this imminent change so um, if you want to share a little bit about that with us, how are we able to maybe perhaps use this moment as a bifurcation point to co-create something different together? Yeah, so I think I like the, the example you said. It's pretty obvious how some some systems are particularly made for kind of needing some sort of almost destruction to sustain. Sadly, I would say even what's called the healthcare system has a, a lot of things that are not about health and, and, and exist almost on the back of, of chronic disease. So I think the invitation to co-creation should be about thriving and well-being as, as the core, not necessarily accumulation or average wealth or, or gross domestic product as, as the goal of a country. I'm not saying that's not a, good, not a good tool, but like we said about 
what's the point of making your profits if your profits depend on people being addicted to to, to some kind of painkiller that, 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 that clearly is, is bringing a lot of dysfunction and it's not helping anyone thrive. Um, whereas there's some things like love or whatever, fasting or just healthy walking in nature that don't get accounted for and may really improve well-being and help us thrive. So my invitation, and, and, and you can see some of the work we're going to be uh, prototyping in, in Boldly Now and, and Generative Futures, I'm very open to anyone who wants to help think of this. Um, and I'm working with some friends also who are doing regenerative models, but we're thinking like, what does thriving humanity in connection to all its environment and all living beings look like decades, hundreds of years into the future. I think that invitation allows a very clean canvas then to, to paint almost anything. Because if I ask you what to do by next year, it feels a lot like solving maybe and tweaking a current problem, like taking a nightmare and just like making it less bad. And I think there's some gloom and doom things that are just objective data. Like we have been destroying a lot of the biodiversity of the planet, of corals, of, of rainforests, of lots of species. And we've already destroyed a lot of them and we're going very fast to destroying a lot more and sea levels rising. So I'm not being naive, but I think a gloom and doom is not a good enough source for creating thriving humanity. I think we need to balance data and responsibility and understanding the, the trouble we're causing by these extractive paradigms and then also co-create from a place that, 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 that is beyond, that feels exciting, that is possible. And then I think with fresh eyes, we can come back and say, what of that thriving future already exists here? Like maybe some elements of this incredible thriving and well-being exists in a part of Bali that you're seeing and maybe exists in a rural town of Africa that is becoming very, very innovative on in how to develop without copying maybe a lot of the stupid structures that happen unintendedly in the way urbanization ended up happening with the cars and the suburbs and the shopping malls. Um, Maybe we, we map something here in a blue zone in Nosara that like was being lost, but that actually showed up a way of getting to longevity without having to spend 15 times more per capita in healthcare, in medicines, but actually comes from relating, from purpose, from walking naturally. And I think there the co-creation can tap in something really powerful, uh, something that feels very engaged, very alive, very much like like a love-centered, life-affirming place to be a good ancestor into the future. Like, grateful to all of our ancestors, like our grandmothers, our, our earth, the, the, the living beings that literally keep holding together this, this planet around the sun in a place that, that holds life. But then we can imagine uh, something very bold. And I think there the co-creation comes back and then becomes very present because we are very present in the present. Like we're not trying to escape the present with a fantasy of the future. We're trying to, from the present, sense all that is possible. And 
And if you look at life and look at springtime and look at flowers coming out and look at, the, at a butterfly that came from a caterpillar, there's many, many of these reflections that without having to think very much, just show that kind of butterfly-like moment of imaginal cells or, or that place after the snow clears that springtime comes back, where, where something, you know, may not be already there, but has a transformative, life-affirming continuity and brings something boldly new. And, and this way of, of going into, in, into a thriving humanity, uh, I think it requires everyone to be involved. It's not a question of the CEOs. It's not a question. It's like we're... And, and you can find a, within your being callings to be part of it. Like some people may be called to, to help other people embody it more. Some people may be called to find technology to help the artificial intelligence be a great colleague into this. And, and some people may be kind of planting and regenerating topsoil. And some people may be finding a way in which water really is available to everyone. And, and some people may be finding ways in which the the life under the seas comes back. So I think that's the invitation, I would say, to, to co-create from being so present and so open into a, into a big field that includes hopefully all of life and a big time frame of past and especially future that often we, we, we hide from because the future can feel overwhelming and, and, and it's changing and it's difficult to even know how to process and to just embrace it and to maybe embrace it even more boldly to look hundreds of years out and, and then find find gestures you want to kind of be remembered for without maybe the ego being remembered for because you'll be kind of present in in ways into that future that are much more subtle but because of that they're almost more spread out and I think there you also can never do it alone. And two things happen when you're more dependent than others. One is the, by dropping some of this need for control, because in a way it's an illusion, then also there's a kind of more fluid kind of creative freedom because you know what's being created. It's being created with all of this other life by definition. Um, And then both, like, I feel like the cells in the body, we have like, you know, trillions of cells and uh, each one is kind of doing its own thing, even without a lot of consciousness, you know, like the, if, 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 if a cell in the eye does its job and the one in the liver does its job and stuff, like the whole system thrives. If one cell just wants to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, like it's almost like a cancer. So, so I, I, I think just to some extent by by a sensing of being part of a bigger system, we can also be very present to doing what feels, honors most our nature and talents and sense of possibility and, and feel like we're like in a, in like this great family with all of other life. And I, in a way I feel maybe even like, like we're like a great orchestra, you know, like just playing all these different instruments. Um, yes, and And then, and then creating a beautiful tune. And maybe what we're being called together is like 
like the band, as I was talking to a friend recently, like the band is coming together. Like we did our training and then like this amazing orchestra is coming together. So let's, let's, let's play the most thriving tune. And I think it is urgent to be very present and playing now because it's also not like, I mean, we could wait 20 years to do this. Uh, we, could, we could wait uh, weeks to do this. But I think this, this is not the moment. I feel like uh, those of us who, who have to be alive <laughs> to some extent are, by definition, we are the ones who are here now, sort of on stage. Um, and, and I think let's imagine immensities because I think this would be a very sad time to get stuck out of lack of imagination. The, the world, to a great extent, has a lot of resources. There's more knowledge, more technology than ever. Um, but, but what would be very sad is that we feel like that all that we've discussed in, in the last minutes and stuff of separation get, remain unstuck with a stuck head, a stuck heart, a stuck spirit. And that in like a limited way, we, we just like run like hamsters, just in place, not being able to go further. And I think um, it, Debbie Millman used to say that if you imagine less, less is what you will deserve. So, but if we imagine deeper from love and not stop until you really fully go where that love gets you to life-affirming places, then you can really work so hard with, with imagine, imagination into immensities and not compromising or wasting time. And I would say, let's not do that in 20 years from now, and not in two weeks, but, but now. Um, yes, uh, and, and I think the calling of the planet is, is, is helping us convene at a global level now. So it's what, what an opportunity. Yes, and thank you for those words. Uh, I'm super uh, excited for this. Yes, uh, definitely. I think this is the time. This is the moment. We need to start co-creating together. We need to start changing our perspectives and start working towards this as one, which is what we are, and, and stop you know, competing, fighting, and having our judgments and, and separating ourselves. This is definitely the moment we've been waiting for. And I am 100% on it, and I know you are, and I know there are so many people who are. So I think it's just a matter of start starting to work together and support each other and co-create things together. That's, that's where we're heading and that's what we have to do. Yes. So thank yes, you for absolutely. That. Yes. Thank you, Pablo. Um, thank you very much. And the other question I wanted to ask you, I always ask this uh, to every participant in the, in this podcast is um, because I have this idea of precisely um, this interdependence of the spiritual the social and the environmental and this conscious living approach to life so i would like to ask you what does it mean for you and how could we start as an individual then tapping into the collective with this awareness of living consciously yeah so i, I have a sense that the first part to live consciously is to turn um a little bit the, the telescope towards yourself. So rather than looking out there and looking for, for someone or something to tell you what to do, the first is just to, to take some time 
to face kind of within in the present in that awareness that's always already here. Um, once there, I think we mo most of us then find find an essence and a calling and um, and a and a presence and a kind of spacious place where where certain values. Uh, Some are very natural and probably quite universal of, of compassion and, and of love that then can be expressed in different ways. But I'd say like the first is that that sense of looking within, but 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 looking not not with like the intense mind searching or judging. Like I, I would say looking like with a smile from the heart, looking compassionately, looking with curiosity, like what's what's really there. And then I think what you find there is that that everything is there to some extent too. And, and because, because who's doing the looking, who's doing the searching, uh, you realize very quickly what you are not, like not your body, not your thoughts, not your feelings, until I think you realize you are just a part of this whole. So I think the second thing that conscious living has is like, it feels like taking care of oneself and the whole is the same thing. And both are of course worth being very deeply grateful for. I think I think a conscious life has a lot of gratefulness for it, and 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 I would say a conscious life is is very life affirming, which is by being very present. Um, it has a a quality of kind of almost an audacity of, of sensing that it exists. Wow! And now, so in spite of pain or pleasure, it 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 is able to recognize. Um, a quality where by by affirming the essence of all of life i would say even beyond time because like the present is so timeless that you, you like just you're just there um, you're you're able to let go of a lot of 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 silly small predicaments so the all the issues that are mostly created by the ego you don't have to fight the ego or destroy the ego because it's also you know it comes in and out it's fine but it, it these things that often look very big like needing approval or making your words right or how did you appear to others and control uh, when I think you have a very conscious way of living are are just pass in and out like clouds because you, you you see it you don't fight it and 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 you're able to stay i think um, lovingly connected to these other places where your attention is very life affirming and there because you're able to place attention beyond just yourself or your or your monkey mind then your your consciousness has i would say a much more beautiful garden in which to and stage in which to partake on life and I think that's that's what the conscious life does and then that conscious life becomes a conscious business or a conscious society or a conscious community when done by many people at once so I think the best way to do it is first to cultivate it in oneself I think that seems to be the, the change but um, And I think that's much better than preaching to people to do it. I think then people see you in this kind of like joyful, sustained bliss that doesn't depend on outer circumstances as much. 
and that becomes its own kind of contagious in a positive way uh, element into different ways of sharing in community. Thank you, Paolo. Yes, beautiful. And my last question is, if you have like one, I don't know, one, one single message or word or sentence or something that you find very important for people to hear right now for humanity, what would you, what would you share? What is your message? I think the most solid message should be to use this time. Imagine like, say 20 years from now, like even if, even if you are afraid that's too long or you don't even know if your body will be together with your mind, then, and, and, and sense what would you have wanted to really do in this pause? Because that's the main message I, I would offer because sometimes we want to get, a, I even feel like at times I want to get an answer. Wait, can I go see someone I really care for like and fly? And, but, but then I feel like, wait, this pause is a, is a gift. And then I ask, what would this gift really provide myself and humanity? Not for next month, but into the next couple of decades. And each one should find their own answer. But I, I hope to many will be like, what is inside of me and in all of life that I deeply want to honor, that really wants to come alive? And what is time to let go of? And I want to honor and put to rest and let die and, and, and maybe keep some of some things and let some other things go the way life always does. Yeah. And then what do I need to invite of imagination and openness to add? So, so that's what I would say, use this pause through that expansive question so that, so that it really can be a fertile pause. And, I, and, and I'm trying to do that in spite of how sometimes the uncertainty can take over, but then it is a gift. This moment really is, I think, a special gift. Every moment is, but I feel we're in, a, in one that if we looked for a while, it's like it, it'll be going for a while. So, so uh, it could be, for many of us, uh, a special instance in a lifetime. Thank you. Yes, a beautiful invitation. And um, I really hope that we can all start working together towards that awareness and and use this precious time as as you invited us <laughs> to do so thank you paulo thank and you so uh, much thank you thank you so much for your time and and the amazing work you're doing i'm going to share here some of your information if people want to connect more with you in regards to the projects that you're working on i know you're working in a lot of things so if perhaps you want to share a little bit of of, of that to the listeners yeah. mm -hmm. i mean i think um the two areas that i'm most excited that i'll be starting to focus more on this decade but consolidate some of the things I've done in the last two decades. One is regenerative investment areas. So part of moving to Nosara was to look at ways in which these thriving zones can happen where hopefully one can bring a combination of well-being, uh, honoring and protecting nature, uh, the quality of the food. I don't think it's perfect, but it has several elements where where longevity and vitality can come together and it doesn't have to come from necessarily having the most roads and shopping malls and hospitals, but actually from the kind of interaction. So, so I'm very excited about that and how that can happen in different parts of the world, especially whether it's very young populations like in Africa or India or 
Brazil, but, but just everywhere. So, and, and the second, you can see the website boldly now and several interviews and, and, and we'll launch the, the other website of Generative Futures soon, which is to, to combine this uh, perspective of the challenges that we're facing with a space of creating futures possible that will kind of inform to us what we can uh, sense into what's possible to emerge longer than decades into the future. So, so I'm excited of bringing those two in. Um, and then, you know, the idea is to have tools for the people who already feel kind of attuned to reimagining then how to actually do it. But I think a part of it will actually be even creating media for this. And then for the people who are looking into the investment way of regenerative investing, the idea is to find places where you can invest for financial, environmental, and social returns in a regenerative way. And I think for that, Part of what I've been testing is these ways of living in very small footprints. I, I did a small micro apartment and I've been looking at several micro housing options of like 30 square meters where you have everything you need there privately. You know, like the bed becomes a sofa, the, the, a beautiful piece of wood is, is a desk or comes into the wall. But then you have around you all the public things that are worth sharing and co-creating with, you know, like permaculture, like food that you just are able to grow in community and and, and spaces to do yoga and dance and, and meditation and, and, and places where you engage with everyone in the community, not just people who can pay for it. And, and, and places where you can be healthy in the outdoors and in that way protected and defended trails and walking. So, so those are the two models that I'm uh, most interested in, in, um, in being part of uh, both imagination and the investing in a way that actually both for individuals or or for bigger investors, like you can actually put your resources in places that are much more coherent with the kind of thriving future that I envision uh, and, and want to be living uh, in an integrated way from now on. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for being such a, um, a change agent. <laughs> Thank you for that, Pablo. And I hope people can connect with you and read about your projects and possibly cooperate and, and get in touch with you. They want to learn more and... And, if, and you're always also connected with people who are coming doing interesting uh, workshops and things on leadership and, and all this. These are areas that we just tapped today in our conversation. So thank you again uh, for your time yes. and for your work and for this conversation. Thank you. And for the listeners, thank you so much for um, listening to this uh, amazing conversation with Pablo. And we'll be posting more podcasts very soon. Thank you again. Have a beautiful day. Thank you, Nelsie. Bye-bye.